0: fundamentals. And the thought behind this series is fundamentals. If you were to play a game and you didn't know the rules of the game, the game quickly becomes boring, becomes overwhelming, It becomes confusing. Uh, If you think of, of a game when everyone else is playing by the rules and you're standing out there going, I have no idea what's going on. That game is incredibly overwhelming. And you think about that with life. If you don't understand the fundamentals of your life, if you you don't understand the foundation of which God has given us the truth of His Word, the Bible, who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the church is, you go through life going, "Hmm, I know it, but I really don't understand it. And it quickly becomes confusing and overwhelming. And the human nature goes, well, if it's too hard, I'm just going to ignore it and there's too much incredible wonderful truth and joy we find in our relationship with God just to ignore it. So this morning we're speaking of the fun fundamental, I've purposely used the word fun because the thought is life is a whole lot more fun when you understand the rules and it's a it's a blatant pun and play on words. We're talking about Jesus Christ but I'm specifically going to be talking about a word I'm going to maybe it's a new word for you. I'm going to expand your, your word power today, expand your vocabulary, and it's the word justification. And as you leave this morning, I want you to leave answering the question How can Jesus change my life? That's the real question of life. How can Jesus change my life? Who is this Jesus? Maybe you're like me and I carry a number of keys on my key ring and they all somewhat look the same. And it's not hard to walk up to a door and put the wrong key into the door. And sometimes you have to force it into the lock and you go, hmm, for some reason it's not working today. So rather than thinking the logical thing like, hmm, maybe I should try the next key over, we go and we just push harder and we twist harder and then sometimes you break it and... Have you ever broken a lock? It's, it's, Im- it's kind of embarrassing to have to go to the locksmith or admit to your spouse, I broke it again. When logic says we will try another key, but human nature goes, no, I'm just going to keep on trying until it eventually will work because something must be wrong here. I can't be the one that needs to change. Well, that's a similar way with our spiritual life. Jesus gives an exclusive I am statement in John chapter number 14, verse 6. He's speaking to his disciples. I'm going to actually delve into this passage more next week. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says to him, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's making an incredibly exclusive statement. In other words, he's saying, I am the only key that is going to open up that door. There's no other key that's going to work. You can try to punch and try to push. You can try to twist all the other keys, but this is the only key. And I'm just quoting the very words of Jesus here. For the sake of time, we're just going to scratch the surface on one little area. But I would genuinely enjoy talking about the historic facts of who Jesus is. We can talk about the the literally hundreds... Thousands of prophecies that prophesy the, the existence of Jesus and his death and his burial. They they prophesied how he and how he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, how he was going to live, how he was going to die, how he was going to rise from the dead. They prophesied all of these things as an incredible study. Well, we can talk about the attributes of Jesus. We can talk about his miraculous birth, his absolutely incredible life. We can talk about his saving, death, burial, and resurrection. We can speak of his commission to go into all the world and share the gospel with others. But I'm going to narrow all of that down to a question or a statement. How can Jesus change my life? how can the fact that he's prophesied how is the fact that he he lived a perfect life how the fact that he he, he died and he was buried and he rose again how does it actually change my life because i want to go from simply having head knowledge about jesus to having a intimate and a personal and a practical relationship with him in my daily life and i you're probably the same way as me i want to go beyond just the head knowledge and make it real and experience it in my daily life How can Jesus change my life? Our principle for today is this. And every single Sunday, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And this week is a really encouraging one. I am declared not guilty of sin because of Jesus's salvation. Every single one of us, the Bible is clear about this. Every single one of us, doesn't matter what our background is, we've all done wrong. As a result of doing wrong, sin. Sin has separated us from our creator, separated us from his purpose in our life. And there must be something to reconcile us back to him. And of course, the answer is Jesus Christ. But when you hear a, a statement like, I am declared not guilty because of Jesus' salvation, you and I have a choice in how we respond to that. We can respond and going, hmm, that's nice. Someday we should someone should do something about that. Or we can respond, hmm, that's interesting. Tomorrow I'll do something about it. A number of years ago, I, I was born and raised in Perth, even though I don't sound like it. And I went to the U.S. to go to college. And when I was in the middle of college, I took one of my friends to the E.D., in, the, in America, they call it the ER, the emergency room, but the, the ED. So you take taken my friend to the emergency department. And I was sitting there for a long time, and I was getting bored. And there was a phone there, so I thought, I'm going to call my mom. She's in Australia. It was in the middle of the night. It was about right, probably at 10 a.m. her time. I thought, I'm going to call my mom just to see how she's doing. And so I called her, and uh, really, really dumb of me, rather than thinking through what I was going to say, I said, hi, Mom, guess where I am? And the reason why that's so dumb is it only takes half a second to say, Hi, Mom, I'm in the ED right now. For her to go, oh, and have all those emotions and feelings like she, she packed a bag. She ordered, got a ticket to, to the U.S. All the things she's walking out the door ready to take care of her favorite child. And she's thinking all these things in that half a second. And then I said, no, no, it's not me. It's a friend of mine. I'm just here taking it. I've just got bored waiting. Was, and I got a lecture. <laughs> like, Michael, don't you ever do that to me again. But do you know what's interesting? If you ever receive a, a call, and as a parent, if I ever receive a call from my children saying, I need help. I'm in the ED right now. I, I, I'm, I'm desperate. You're not going to go, mm, do you know what? It's not really convenient right now. Or, you know, I need my eight hours. See you later. <laughs> Roll over. You're going to leave everything behind. You're not going to use laundry as the excuse. I mean, not that you'd ever use laundry as an excuse. You know, I'm sorry, I have dishes to do. Or, you know, I have too much at work. No, that's desperate. You're going to leave everything behind and go right away. The book of James, chapter number 4, verse 14. James says this, talking about our life. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? And he he gives us an illustration. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That doesn't mean you're not important. What it says is your life is like the steam that comes off the top of a kettle, is there for a brief time, and then it disappears and it's gone. In the scope of eternity, our life is but a short, short time. And you and I have a choice of how we're going to respond to our principle again is I am declared not guilty of sin because of Jesus's salvation. And you ask yourself, how does that affect my life? How does Jesus change my life? If you have your Bibles this morning, me encourage you to open them to Romans chapter number 3. We're going to get there in just a few seconds time. Romans chapter number 3, I want you to see this for yourself. And we're going to actually outline this passage this morning and walk through it and make some application for our life in regards to the word justify or justification. It says in verse 21 of that passage, Romans 3. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen for you to follow. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and and are justified... By his grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. I'm going to define that word a little later. It's a weirdly weird word. You just say fast. Propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. That was. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We're going to break this down into five different steps this morning. And we see here that God has a plan A for your life and my life because we have all sinned. His plan A is the gift of Jesus Christ. But you and I, we go back and we say, well, God, I'm going to try plan B first and plan C and my plan D and E and all the way to plan Z at the very end. And we sit back and go, God, why hasn't none of this worked? And God says, because I have a plan A for you. This is the plan. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So the question is, how can Jesus change my life? And the word justification has a a, a definition, and I'm going to explain it, and then I'm going to give you the dictionary-style definition, and then we're going to break it down into something practical for your life and my life, and what it actually looks like. Justification is a word that means the act of God, whereby He declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. He goes there and he says, declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ. It's a legal term that quite literally means like a judge sitting before a guilty person. A good judge would say, you're guilty. Bang, bang. Here's your punishment. You are guilty and here's your sentence. A bad judge would go. No, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to ignore it. Here, pay me a little money, I'll ignore your, your guilt, and then we'll just, we'll just ignore it. That's a bad judge. Or we have the judge that we find here with God, that God says, yes, you are guilty, but I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus, and I'm going to take your guilt and replace it with my, and here's a key word, righteousness. Righteousness is simply being in right standing with God. And as a result of that, when the judge sits before you and I, he doesn't go bonk, bonk, guilty or bang, bang. I'm just going to ignore it. He says, bang, bang, you're not guilty because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That changes absolutely everything for you and I. It changes the way that we look at ourselves. It changes the way that we look at others. It changes the way that we respond when God prompts us to do something. Because more often than not, you and I are probably the same. When God prompts me to do something, my natural response is, God, I can't do that. Remember when I did this? There's a number of things that I'm totally embarrassed about that I hope you never find out about. And there's things that you've done that you never want me to find out about. And they're none of my business. But God knows them all. And God says, Bang, bang, not guilty because of Jesus. That changes absolutely everything. Three things very quickly about justification. It is an act, not a process. You don't become more or less guilty over time. You are declared by Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation. You are declared not guilty. At the moment of salvation, when you place your trust upon Christ as your Savior, some incredible things happen. One is that you are received the gift of salvation. You repented of your sins. God takes your sin and re- gives you His righteousness or gives you a new standing. He takes away, and the Bible says, He washes us white as snow. Another thing that takes place is He gives us the Holy Spirit, which seals our salvation. Another thing that happens is God says that He writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and no one's able to rub that out. In other words, it's His book. He, you're listed in His book, and no one's able to rub it out. And the other thing that happens is In heaven, the angels rejoice and they have a party. All that takes place at the moment of salvation, at that very moment you are declared not guilty. It's not a process that you become less guilty over time. You were declared from the very beginning not guilty. You may think to yourself, but I don't always feel that not guilty. That's where the word sanctification comes in. So you're learning, you're expanding your word power today. Justification is you're declared, not guilty. Sanctification is a theological word that means in the process by which God makes the believer more like Christ. Over time, you want to become more like Christ. I'll give you an example. When I was married, my father-in-law married me, which is kind of awkward when he says, "You may kiss the bride." It's like, <laughs> but you may kiss the bride." And I, really, it's all I wanted to hear. Yeah, he's, he gave a long speech and, and other things. All I wanted to hear is, You are now man and wife. You may kiss the bride. And legally, they signed the documents. We were married. But you know what? I've been married for a number of years. Work out there how many years? It's our 16th year this year. And when I'm married for 50 years, I don't want the same relationship. I love Tammy and I loved her when we were married. But you know what? In 50 years' time, I don't want to love her the same way I loved her 50 years ago. I want to love her a whole lot more. I want to know her a whole lot more. I want our relationship to be so much more strong than it was back then. That sanctification. Every single day. Am I still married? Absolutely. Was I, was I married after one year? Absolutely. I, do I know her a lot better now? Absolutely. Is she a lot more <laughs> is she a lot more gracious? <laughs> oh, she's a lot more forgiving. And and you think through over time, that's that's the picture of justification and sanctification so therefore it's an act not a process it's also it's something that god does not man there's nothing you can do to earn god's judge, or god's statement of or declaration of not guilty There's nowhere in the Bible we find scales. Our good outweighs our bad. All we find is Jesus Christ and Him alone, what He's done on the cross for us. That changes our perspective, because no longer do I have to work hard enough. Do I have to be good enough? I simply have to focus up and, and accept the gift that has been given and paid for you and for me. And then finally is, it is God that declares us righteous. The reason why the distinction of God declares us righteous, it's not others around us. It's, I mean, I I've, I've apologized to my neighbors when we moved in. I said, you're going to hear some things. <laughs> we're, we're a very noisy family. We try to close our doors the best that we can, but you're going to hear, you're gonna hear our, our joyful conversations. It's not my neighbors that declare me righteous. It's not your spouse. It's not your family. It's not your enemies. It's God himself who declares you righteous. He's the one who sets the standard. You and I, we don't set the standard. Therefore, when we look at other people, we see them through the love that God has for them, not our own personal standard. That changes absolutely everything. Now, what we're going to do the rest of this morning is we're going to take a few moments. I have five P's. And I've taken them from a a theology book by a guy named Charles Riley called Basic Theology. And he laid it out because any time, if you're a regular Southwest Baptist, any time that something's alliterated, everything has the same letter, I've stolen it because I'm horrible at that myself. We have five steps. So we're going to walk through this as a process and see how it is that we have this wonderful gift of justification where God declares the saved person not guilty. Let's begin with the plan. Now, we often have plans. We think to ourselves, this is a plan, I'm, but some things take us by surprise. You ever watch a movie, a scary movie, and you hear the music going on, and you know the guy's going to walk through the door, and you think, don't walk through the door, I know it's going to happen. And the guy's oblivious because he, he doesn't hear the music. And he opens the door, and of course, something horrible happens. I don't like scary movies. They make me queasy, all the blood and the guts. You may like them, but they make me nervous. They make me uncomfortable. But you know, you know something' bad's going to happen behind the door, so you go, just don't go through the door. Go the other way. Like, why are you going through there? You know the ex-murder is loose? <laughs> In a similar way with, with God. But God says, "I know what's going to happen. None of this has taken me by surprise. I knew when I created you who you were going to be. And so therefore, from the very beginning, I've had a plan for your life. In in verse 21 of Romans 3, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets, thousands of years before Jesus, they began prophesying. And in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned from the very beginning, God said, I'm going to send a savior who's going to crush the head of Satan. He set it up from the very beginning. He had a plan before he even made the world that he was going to have to send his son to save us. That's absolutely incredible, but you know that it gives you assurance that it didn't take God by surprise. It's not like him going, oh, I wish I wouldn't have made these people, and now I'm stuck with them. He says, I knew who you were, and I've created you, knowing that you're going to sin, because I want, I'm, going to, and I'm going to provide a, a Savior for you. There is a plan, and there's also a prerequisite. The pre- Prerequisite is that something that has to take place before we are declared not guilty. Verses 22 and 23 says the righteousness of God, through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have something that unifies us together. Every single one of us has done wrong. We all sinned and that separated us from God. That's where it says there no distinction. But it goes there and it says in faith, when Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, the life." No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an absolute statement. And if you believe that Jesus is the way, if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your savior, I never get tired of that. I had meeting after meeting after meeting, talking with all the people that were baptized over the last couple of weeks. And it was enjoyable. And I talked through basically the same thing again and again and again, because you never get tired of this wonderful truth of what God has done in our lives is through faith in Jesus Christ. And it says there's no distinction. It's not a matter of you have to look a certain way, you have to come from a certain culture, you have to have this amount of money, you have to have this sort of education. It unifies us all together. We all have the same problem, and we all have the same solution. That's the prerequisite, that we must do this by faith. Other passages of the Bible talk about receiving God's gift by faith, not by works, is because of His mercy. And you think about a gift; the only, the very definition of a gift is something that's given freely, not by obligation. It goes on. We're there we have the prerequisite. We also have the price. There was a price that had to be paid. Now, quite honestly. We're in church. It's pretty obvious we're going to talk about Jesus when we're in church. But, you know, some things we don't want it to go beyond just the head knowledge. But it's important to acknowledge that there actually is a plan. There is a prerequisite. And there certainly is a price that had to be paid for your sin and my sin. Now, we know it's Jesus. Now, spoiler, it's Jesus. But when you start thinking through that God had a plan from the very beginning, He knew the price that was going to be paid. It gives your salvation and my salvation a great deal more value. It's not like something that, like, oh, I got robbed. I don't know. It's all, it's all gone. It's something that God knew the price that was going to be paid, and He has willingly given it. Verse 24 and 25 says, "...and are justified, or declared not guilty." By his grace. The word grace is is God's favor upon the undeserving. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, which I'll define in just a second. By his blood to be received by faith. Was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over. Former sins. The foundation is you and I have a gift that we cannot deserve. And the way this gift has been paid for was with a price. And the price is that big word, propitiation, which is a word that means to appease someone who is angry, usually by a gift. God's wrath or the judgment of God was paid by Jesus Christ when he came and died on the cross. And he did that not just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He didn't do it for a good cause or to show us a better way. He did it to make the payment that only God could make himself on the cross for your sin and my sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, For our sake, now I believe it's very correct there to personalize this. So I'm going to put my name in there because my name's Michael. You put your own name in there as we read it, okay? For Michael's sake, it says he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus. So I'm going to read that again. For Michael's sake, and you put your own name in there, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness. Let me personalize that again. So that in Jesus, Michael may become the righteousness of God. When you begin to personalize the Bible, it goes from being big picture, all the world, and you begin to personalize it. There's some incredible gifts that we we have as as people that live in Australia. We have incredible gifts. We have the nature that we enjoy and the freedoms that we enjoy. But when you begin to personalize that into it's your freedoms, it's the nature that you can enjoy. This is the righteousness of God that he's given for you. You ever stop to think about the, the fact that God sent Jesus not just for the world, but for you as an individual? When someone gives you a gift that's an incredibly expensive gift and you know that it's not just for everybody, it's kind of like when they, they build a stadium, like Optus Stadium, and they go, it's for the citizens, it's for O-W-A! WA. Does any of you go, for me? <laughs> Why do they charge you so much to get in? <laughs> it's you know, it, it becomes, it's, it's distant. It's okay, it's for everybody. But when you have a gift that has your name on it, that changes absolutely everything. And your perspective begins to change. So Let me read that one more time. For and I want you to put your name in, in your mind. Ready? For, say your name, Michael's sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, Michael, in your name as well, might become the righteousness of God. And our payment as a gift is absolutely free. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin or the payment of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's something we cannot afford on our own. And that gives us a new position. Because of the price that was paid, now you and I can enjoy a newfound position in Christ. The beautiful thing with this is, using my family as an illustration, if you came to my home as a guest, you're a welcome guest. I'll offer you a drink. I'll offer you a nice place to sit. We'll eat a meal together, but you must go home. But my children, I feed them. I, you know, we take care of them, and they stay. And they're welcome to stay for a particular period of time. <laughs> and then when they get to a certain age, they may, they may leave <laughs> as they go. But our newfound position in Christ We're no longer distant. We're no longer acquaintances. And it says in in verse number 24, and are justified. That and are justified, it means that you now are, it doesn't say you are. So it doesn't say you might be, or you could be, you should be, or we want you to be. It's now, this is who you are. It's a fact, not a feeling. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We now have a newfound position. If you have your Bible is open to Titus chapter number 3. Titus chapter number 3. This is written by a man named Paul, the apostle, and he's writing to a young man named Titus, who was a young pastor and you imagine Titus going out into, into new lands and experiencing new opportunities and things become overwhelming. And anytime time things become overwhelming and scary, my natural response, maybe similar to yours, is it, we take a step back and we begin to question, is this really real? Is this because this is difficult? Is this really what's supposed to happen? The Apostle Paul wrote this to encourage this young pastor. And we can take the same truth for your life and my life. And he uses a contrast about who we were and who we now are in Christ. So you can relate this to your life, who you were and who you now are, according to the declaration of not guilty. Let's read Titus 3 verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once, again, you can personalize this as well, according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse number seven is a wonderful verse about our new position. Remember, we talked about who we were, who we are. And here's our newfound position in verse number seven. So that being justified or declared not guilty by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life we're no longer strangers we're no longer acquaintances now we are heirs or we are in the family in the bloodline of jesus christ that changes our perspective so when we ask the question how does jesus change my life if you know jesus christ as your savior you now have a new position you're no longer a relative now you are an heir of jesus christ Number of years ago I had the opportunity to visit with my father-in-law, and in fact, my whole family was with my in-laws in the US. And my father-in-law, for a number of years in a number of different clubs, was a chaplain for baseball. And at uh, this particular time, he was a chaplain for a what's called a minor league baseball team. It's one underneath the, the the major leagues. So basically these people earn the thousands, and then the next level up, they earn the millions. But the stadiums are incredible. And being a chaplain, he has free access, so I was following him around. We went to the locker room, and he introduced me to some of the players, and we walked around. And, and then right before the game began, we went up to a, one of the boxes that overlooks the, the um, stadium. And in there, there was a buffet, and there was all the drinks you can have. So I grabbed myself a Coke, and I sat down, and my in law excused himself for a few minutes. And I was sitting there all by myself in the box, come to find out it was the owner's box. And this man walked in and he looked at me and I'm sitting there all by myself, drinking a Coke, enjoying myself. And he looks and he says, may I help you? As an individual, I had no right to be there. I said, uh, I'm with and I explained to him who my father-in-law was. And then he walked in at the same time. He goes, oh, of course. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Good thing. Otherwise, everybody got kicked out. But, you know, it's incredible in myself. I had no right to be in the owner's box. But because of who I was with, I had full access. The buffet was mine. it's you know, incredible. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. It's not because of who you are. It's because of what he has done for you. It's because who you are with. And it's all through this passage, you'll see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's because that's where you have your position. And it's because you have been declared Not guilty. There's a pronouncement as the final. All of this has taken place in the moment of salvation, and now you are now pronounced not guilty. Our principle for today, again, is this. I am declared not guilty of sin because of Jesus' salvation. That verse in verse 26 says, For it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith In Jesus. There's a real key there. He wants to be your justifier. He wants to declare you not guilty. But you must first, as it says there, have faith. Have faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ, accepting his free gift of salvation. Many years ago, I placed my trust upon Christ as Savior, and through that time, I've grown and developed and become the person that I am today, and I look forward to continuing to grow and develop. But maybe here today, you are hearing something for the very first time, or you're thinking to yourself, and that still small voice in your head is shouting in your ears saying, you need this. This is for you. I don't want you to leave today without you this pronouncement for you too. Because in Romans eight thirty three talks about it's Who actually gives us this? It says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. As we experience the things of God in our life, I don't want you to live the old way any longer. I don't want to live that way. I want you now to live as a fact not just a feeling that you are declared not guilty but maybe you're here today and you're yet to place your trust upon Christ as your savior where you're sitting right now you can simply say in your own words there's no there's no magical words there's no abracadabra spell you have to say it's the belief in your heart that does the saving god i believe you are who you say you are i believe jesus christ is is the son of god i believe he died on the cross and he rose again from my sin and i'm Sorry for my sin. Will you please give me your free gift of salvation? And you know what the Bible says? And Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It says you will be saved. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise that you can enjoy today, even when you're sitting right, sitting right there. The other thing is, if you want to talk afterwards, I'm happy to have a conversation with you. Even though we have a busy afternoon, I'm all the time in the world because this is incredibly, incredibly important. Those that are going to help hand out the communion, would you come forward at this time and begin handing out the communion? We're going to hand out the juice and the bread at the same time. As you hold that in your hand, the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that was broken for us. And then the juice, I want you to hold that in your hand, is a picture of the blood that was shed for the payment of our sin. And these are pictures that Jesus Christ gave to us. As they hand that out, I want you to listen to a couple verses. They're on the screen for you to follow. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace, in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Go down to verse number six and it says, For while we were still weak, at the time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the blood of his Son. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That first verse again. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The question we asked in the very beginning was, How does Jesus change my life? I want you to think through in your life where you are today. How has his salvation changed your life? And celebrate that. As you hold that bread in your hand and hold that cup of juice, I want you to reflect upon what he's done for you as an individual. We'll take a few moments and then we'll have a word of prayer together.